ask how you're doing and you'd ask how I'm doing but we already know we that, already went through that the listeners yeah <laughs> we are alive and that's all that matters we right are, we are barely alive yes yeah. we're, uh, we're clinging it's we're been alive. it's been a great it's been one week it's <laughs> been funny. a year and a week but um I'm not gonna focus on the bad stuff because there are some exciting things going on right now. Um, are I, there? I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I got a new car. <laughs> oh, yeah, you did. Yeah, I got it. I literally just saw it. You did. This is how I am right now. Like, I just forget <laughs> things as they happen. It's okay, I do too. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> I got a new car. Her name is Yennefer. She's beautiful. She's beautiful. <laughs> she is a sorceress. Yes. She is a... Um, she is jet black uh, listener. If you're listening to this, which you are, obviously. Um... <laughs> I've never had like a big girl car. Hell yeah! I've never been able to get a car that like I. She just goes wanted. around in Barbie cars, guys. <laughs> yes, um, just Barbie cars. No, it's just Barbie cars. The the circumstances for when I've gotten cars, it's just been kind of like um, I have a small budget. Just get what I can. Make sure it can drive me where I need to yeah. go. Yeah, so, and whatnot. Yeah, so this is the first time ever. You've gotten extras. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time ever in my life I can play music from my phone on my car. Like, I'm so excited. Isn't, that, a, isn't that amazing? Like, it is. You guys would take that for granted because Rachel did not, she barely had a working stereo. Can I, am I allowed to say that? Yes. <laughs> we wasn't even working. I played my music on my phone. <laughs> when I, when Ron went with me to get the car, we were driving my car, obviously, because yeah. I was going to trade it in. And he was like, when I saw you play your music on your phone, I was like, oh, girl, no. Oh, honey. <laughs> I didn't realize you were this gal. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Like, um, I don't know what it is. Just like both both the cars I had in the past had issues with the radio towards the end. And um, also when I first, like when I drove out here with my old car, my radio and my air conditioning went out at the Ooh, same time. Yeah. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you don't remember it happening, but you remember like the car situation. Yeah, I do remember the car situation. <laughs> so I have air conditioning, which is glorious. I've had oh. it, but um, I have air conditioning. I can play music on my through my car. Is it Bluetooth? It's Bluetooth. Oh, it's yeah. really nice. Now I don't They're have to. It looks beautiful. It's just soft, fancy. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. Do you have a backup camera? I do. <gasps> do you have maps? Um. So apparently, I haven't set it up yet. I have Apple CarPlay, which basically, once it's on my oh. phone, it'll play through. I haven't figured See, that out. See, I love when I love when people get the navigation on their car. I'm like, yeah, it's on your phone, and your phone connects to your car. Yes. So you don't need to pay extra. I will say, <laughs> um, I haven't figured out how to pull the map up on the screen, but it does tell me in the car now. So yeah. that's nice. It's like, yo, you'll turn blah blah blah, and yeah, blah blah blah. Siri will still fuck shit up for you. You'll turn left onto um, into a wall onto the freeway right here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, two minutes ago. <laughs> so that's been um, some of the good stuff. Oh yeah, getting my tattoo next week. Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. Well, I'll have pictures. I'm getting that in three. This has been this. I'm pointing to my piercing. It's Her been it's been feeling yeah. well. Yeah, it's been feeling well. How long do I have to use the back team for? I have no idea. I'm still using it. Okay, for I've mine. been still using. I would it say too. a month, and okay. then if it's 
settled down if it's not infected or anything. Or... It doesn't look infected. You want to no. look at it? No. I don't want to look at your nose. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the weird uh, offer, but I'm good. <laughs> um, also, uh, Rachel, me. You know what, by the way, this is difficult dance. Oh, yeah, You're listening to a podcast. You no, know they know what they're listening to. They fucking <laughs> click the bucket. The bucket? The bucket? <laughs> the bucket. Um, this is a podcast about badass women from history. Yeah, and I'm... us badass women who are struggling through life. Yes. <laughs> but <laughs> we're still badass. This is a podcast about women from history and also a therapy tree house. Yeah. yeah. Um, there is a therapy tree seg- segment every time. So you're welcome. Um, so mine was, I was very stressed from this week. And I don't, I don't normally drink. Cat knows this. Like yes. I almost never drink. You told me the story, and I was like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> well, I was just, I okay. So first off, let me preface what I'm about to say with this. I like ate a big bowl of pasta, fully like thinking I would be okay. Yeah. Um, not if you haven't done any real drinking in a while. Well, yeah. So I just, <laughs> I opened a bottle of Zinfandel wine, and I didn't even get through the whole thing. I got through like two thirds, and I was playing video games online with my friends. Yeah. And towards the end of the night, I, I just went from, like, delightfully buzzed. Yeah, to, to like, not fine. To, like, I'm drunk. Ooh, yeah, that's the problem. Everything's spinning. That happens. And I was like, I gotta go to bed. I gotta go, guys. And then I got sick. I won't go into the details. I've only it, ever gotten sick like, off of wine. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it felt like I was back in college, and it was not, not great. Yeah. Woke up with a very bad hangover. Oh, my gosh. Hi, Finny. So that has been my day. I'm going to be delivering this podcast to you with a hangover. So hell yeah, (laughs) appreciate. Oh man, you. I got I got good news that like I'm actually like starting to. I need to see your butt. Yeah, hey Ben, nice butt. (laughs) I just see that all the time. But like I'm actually like evening out and finding my rhythm at work now. That's awesome. Really great. Like congratulations between this one Thor and then. My work and then just figuring life out. That's like, good though because it's been like, hey, no, <clears throat> oh my god, Finn. <laughs> it's been it's been what like six months that you've oh, been yeah. trying to get this all yeah. sorted out. Jasmine is yelling at Finn. Don't mind her. Get her. You're him, Jasmine. Kiss each other. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already Thor's already a cougar with Fallon at work. You cannot <laughs> encourage Finn to do the same. <laughs> I can only have one cougar chaser, and it is this boy. It's only okay if it's cats. <laughs> um, well, that's awesome. I'm really yeah. glad to hear that. I know you were – it was really stressful a struggle. for a while. Yeah. So. He's doing really good. You can definitely see the progress. Mm-hmm. He doesn't freak the fuck out now every time he sees me. Not you, but mm-hmm. he has his moments with other people, but he's getting used to the people at work. We we take like a, we do like a – I call it our good morning tour. Yeah. And it – like the first hour of my day hey. is dedicated to him. Oh, that's that's their food. Okay. You're good. You can get back. <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was cereal. Go ahead, bud. <laughs> no, I haven't bought cereal in like years. Oh, cereal sounds so good. Let's get some any. Lucky Charms. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Um, yeah. So, you pulled a tarot card today. You're telling me about that. I did. I pulled a tarot card, and I felt very attacked this morning. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing about tarot cards so there's a couple of different kind of cards you can get you can get tarot you can get oracle um and what they say is tarot will attack you in the sense of like if you have something going on in your life that you need to take care of it will call you out on it will call you out it's not like a spiritual attack it's just a like you need to do this get your shit together exactly (laughs) oracle cards are the very like lovey dovey like everything's great you're great have faith in yourself which you need Mm -hmm. 
but you also need to be called you need to like follow up tarot list. with oracle <laughs> yeah yes so yeah what, what did your card say uh i pulled up the page of wands and it says the page of wands like the fool has a fresh yet passionate outlook on life drawing this card indicates that you have a creative spark in you so go ahead be spontaneous follow your creative muse and then it, there's a upright and a reversed message and of course i pulled it reversed <laughs> so it's uh, pessimism lack of direction lack of success and immaturity and i'm like well that's fucking great <laughs> i see see if this resonates with you when i'm thinking of the reverse um you said page of wands right mm-hmm. i'm looking at as a you are avoiding your creative spark you are procrastinating oh i 100 yes. am because i'm yeah. so focused on work right now i'm like it's yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, finding that work. Yeah, and, and that 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 falls in nicely because I mean, I really haven't. I just started getting back into reading. Like, I actually finished a book. Yeah. Like you told me that. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then I got some writing in, and like, so it's been it's been there. So then, okay, <laughs> with that going on, I would say that card is encouraging you. Like, hey, don't fall into old bad habits. Yeah. Keep going that route. Yeah. So here we are. Um, Can we talk about Last Kingdom? Like, not, like, give spoilers, but just that I'm yes, so sad yes. that it's over. Yeah, no spoilers, because like, I have not seen I fucking season cried five. like a baby throughout the entire season. Like, there was not a moment where I wasn't, like, an emotional wreck. And then it ended, and I'm not even kidding you. I just, like, sat there and cried for a minute. <laughs> I I was so upset. <laughs> I fully understand that. Like, I'm, um, I rewatch, I've been, blah, 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 blah. I've been rewatching um the original Vikings yes. during my workouts, mm-hmm. and I'm now. I also cried when that. I was gonna say I'm not the point. I'm I'm I think last season. So Bjorn is king now. Bjorn! Sorry, that's a spoiler. I mean, if you know history, it's not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bjorn's king. Yeah, uh, it's not a spoiler. It's he's kind of like the most famous Viking of all time. Anyway, along with Ivar. If you Moving don't on. know, he was a king at some point. I don't know what to tell yeah. you. But um, yeah, and I I can tell they're gearing up to the end. Lagertha just buried her sword and i was just like oh that part hurt my soul yeah. because she's our girl and she's our shield band i wanted to ask you if like she picks it up again but then i was like i'm nope, not telling you even you. if you ask me i won't tell you okay. because i refuse i feel like she has to because she's a shield maiden and she's got to go to valhalla but don't say anything that's oh, my okay. guess oh no why did you do that i'm not doing anything oh, okay. i just said <laughs> okay very like aggressively <laughs> oh yeah. man yeah but no i Definitely cried when it was over. And like my sister, she's texting me because she finished it too. And she's like, what are we supposed to do now? And I was like, I don't know. Have you seen Peaky Blinders? Yeah. Okay. The new yeah. season's coming out soon too. I think it's, it's the final it's, season. Yeah. It's playing right now on BBC. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be out. Usually it comes out on Netflix like a month or two I'm after. Just, I'm just, I think I texted you. Like, I think the reason I'm so upset is because that The Last Kingdom is the very first show that like hit really close to home because yeah. it like... It, it touched gave, on the religion. Well, that. it touched on the religious part of it and, like, the fighting between different, like, different beliefs. Yeah. But also, like, finding a way to kind of, like, meld both together. Yeah, to say, like, both are okay yeah. or yeah. one or and the other. And that was the first time in my life where I was like, it's okay to believe in something else. Yeah. Yeah, that's and awesome. Show, show me watch me. <laughs> you said you wanted to get a tattoo? Yes, I want to get a tattoo of the quote from... We've said it on here. God created everything that surrounds us, the fields, the rivers, the forests. The land land is is my my church. church. Yeah. And I kind of, I think I want to add, and I pray each day in silence, just because that one is very close to home for me. But yeah. I love the land is my church. It's always, same thing. That line really resonated with me too. That Uh, line like hits in your marrow. (laughs) God, yeah. You feel it in like, in 
every little molecule of your soul. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yes. that line articulated it perfectly for me. And I, like, that's how I explained it to my parents too. And I, I remember I was talking to you um, when you were telling me about this. I had actually watched like the first couple of episodes of The Last Kingdom when it oh, first yeah. came out. And I gave up on it. I did the same thing. And <laughs> you went back and you watched mm-hmm. it and you convinced me to go back and watch yeah, it again. I was like, too. Rachel, you have to watch it. Like, I understand. I went through that. Like, yeah. I was like, well, what the fuck is this? This is dumb. Like, but no, I think it, it was season two was out right so you were like watch it get yeah. through season one and yeah. then Do you car, we're having a conversation <laughs> you're like season two will be worth it and i will say um with tv shows it's very rare it, it's usually reverse um with the situation with last kingdom in yeah. most tv shows the first couple of seasons are good and then, and it, then gets... it just tapers off exactly yeah. last kingdom no joke every single season is better than the last oh my god it this just one like build just everything about it everyone's acting like literally every episode i'm like there's no way they can get better than this i'm sure fucking enough it's like oh does my girl the lady of mercia like get a good ending do they do her justice i'm I'm not i thought it was good but it was it was more focused on uhtred than her okay so because she because i know how she dies in history she dies um like right before her men take the city of York, she is responsible for getting York back from the Vikings. Don't say anything. I I'm guess. not going to. But that that is what the Lady of Mercia did in history. She is the only woman who was ever, ever like actually take a keep in England. I mean, she died right before it happened. Yeah, but, but she was her decision. It was it was her army. Yeah. yeah. We will cover her at some <laughs> point. She's really interesting. I feel like we should do like a the age of the Vikings. My so Jersey, he was like, um, "When are you guys going to do Shield Maidens? I want to." I'm already that. doing research. <laughs> I told him but I was me, like, "It takes forever." I was like, "Well, Cat wants to do um, Lagertha and Freydis, 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 Freydis." Okay. There's also a couple other ones. I think I'm going to do like a spoiler alert. I'm going to do like a Shield Maiden like intro, and then here are some Shield Maidens. Oh, cool! Yeah, sweet. And then we're also trying to get into Valkyries. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and I said I would cover some of the um, Saxon queens. So that'll be Lady of Mercia. And if you're watching the new Vikings that just came out on Netflix, um, Emma of Normandy. I yes. love her. She was great. Yeah. The actress really did her justice. Yeah. yeah. I still haven't. I need to finish. I know. Anyway, <laughs> this is not a podcast about Vikings. It's not, but I just had to gush about <laughs> the show and everything. We're almost 15 minutes. Oh my god, and Ivor, I'm just gonna say it. (laughs) Ivor got her cameo in the first scene, and I almost cried at that too. So so we're gonna we've been talking about doing a episode on the women of Witcher. Yes. Which will probably be next. Um, Yes. I'm gonna be taking a break because I have to deal with some stuff. But (laughs) life is yeah, is winning right now, but it's okay because we'll focus. Yeah. (laughs) I say Um, we'll like well either we might have a few weeks we might have like a a two-week period Mm -hmm. where there's no episode or maybe there will just be like a short like talking episode yeah a couple in a row we'll see um maybe we just do one on the women of the viking women of like last kingdom and vikings too where we just talk about it we'll figure that out later yeah that would mean you would have to watch it Uh, i'm gonna watch it i'm starting this sunday okay i have plans (laughs) i like choke on my drink (laughs) Okay, but we need to buckle down. Sorry. 
So why are we here, Rachel? We are here to talk about, this is episode 34, by the way. So episode 34 is Jean the Queen. Jean the Queen! <laughs> um, so Jean de Elbret, the Queen of Navarre. So if you've listened to our Catherine de' Medici episodes, you already know all about the French wars of religion from the Catholic side. You get a gold star. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time to tell the story from the side of the Protestants. And we get to tell that story through the eyes of Jean, Jean the Queen. The Queen. <laughs> um, make sure you have your phone because I do have pictures. She's actually like, why you gotta tell me what to do? Gorgeous. Why you Just gotta tell me? Do, oh, it. do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get into it, we're gonna do a little bit of historical context. Uh, Don't worry, some of this may be from Catherine's episodes. Whatever. I tried to pick new ones. Um, we're so, giving you a refresher. <laughs> 1532. Spanish conquistador Francisco Pizarro leads the Spanish invasion of the Inca Empire in Central America. In 1546, Michelangelo was named as the chief architect of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Then he paints his little, like, you know, God God and Adam barely touching fingers, kind of homoerotic. (laughs) And then life was made. (laughs) And then life happened. 1547, King Francis I of France dies, and Henry II... King Francis I of France. Say that five times fast. <laughs> Henry II and Catherine de' Medici ascend to the French throne. That sounds familiar, because we spent four episodes talking about it. <laughs> 15, also 1547, Prince Ivan the Terrible becomes the first Russian czar. Oh. In 1553, Mary Tudor becomes the first queen regnant of England. In 1558, Elizabeth Tudor becomes Queen Elizabeth I of England. In 1560, Elizabeth Bathory is born. Stop with the Elizabeths. There's so many. It's too much. (laughs) None in this episode. Oh, my God. Just Henry's. Um, Actually, we'll reference Elizabeth I at one point, but yeah. Just, yeah, Henry's. Okay. Um, 1564, Galileo is born. Galileo, Galileo. Galileo. (laughs) 1566, Solomon the Magnificent, the ruler of the Ottoman Empire, dies. And in 1572, Huguenot leader Gaspard de Coligny is assassinated in Paris and instigates the events of the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. Not a great time period for us. Uh, episode, part three of Catherine de' Medici, if you want to learn all about that tragedy. It is a tragedy. Have Anastasia ready to go after. Anastasia! <laughs> Okay, I so why I had to sing that? I was about to go what? So December. <laughs> so Jean the Queen. We're gonna be calling her that. Jean all the episode, Queen. I'm gonna try really hard not to do that every time she says Jean the Queen, but I cannot make any guarantees. That is an inside joke that turned into an episode, and if you want to understand why we call her Jean the Queen, Jean go Queen. back to another episode to Catherine the Medici Part Three. Yeah, just go back to that episode. Just it's actually really do good. It. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, so Jean the Queen was born in the palace of the French royal court in Saint Germain and Lay on November 16th, 1528 at 5 p.m. That's very specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't understand how we get like 5 p.m. and then we get she she may have been born this year. We're she may have been born sure. in this decade. Yeah, it was Olga of Kiev. She was born in this span of a hundred years. It's just like yeah. So I, I have her natal chart. Yes, of course you do. I love it. <laughs> So her son, I did. Well, it made sense for her. She was into astrology. Um, For Jean the Queen, astrology would be evil. But so we already hate her. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I mean, I like her anyway, but she's very puritanical. 
So okay. I'll try to keep my opinions to She is a Pisces sun. Um, so that we're actually in the season of Pisces right now. Are we? Yeah. Oh. And then your season comes next. Fuck yeah, chaos <laughs> ensues. Speaking of which, her moon sign, her emotions are in Aries. Yes. So, so sorry, girl. <laughs> it's really interesting because Pisces is this like it's the sister sign of Virgo. Virgos are known as um they live to serve people on a like practical level. Okay. They'll help you get your shit together in life. Pisces are known for having this like um spiritual healing ability. Ooh, okay. So they're the like Why don't I have any Pisces friends? <laughs> Christine. Oh fuck yeah, hi Christine. <laughs> make her listen to this episode yeah <laughs> um my friend drizzy is a pisces hey drizzy my therapist not to be confused as Drizzy or jizzy like rachel <laughs> said that one time <laughs> my therapist is also a pisces oh, so nice. they're very um it's a water no wonder, sign god bless you no wonder it works out for you it, yeah, yeah we, we talked about it um sense. she also has a virgo moon i would love to go see your therapist but she makes you do homework and i can't do homework yeah, you when you do therapy, just you need to be ready to make changes. Yeah, I don't do homework. So that's like anyway. been a thing since I was in elementary school. I do not do homework on principle. Her rising sign is in Gemini, so she has her fingers in a lot of different pots. Pies, pots, whatever. It's mostly pies. Um, very. She's very intellectual. Okay. Uh, Mercury, the way she communicates, is in Aquarius, another air sign. So again, very intellectual. She's Aquariuses are kind of known as the, um, they want, you just got very ponderous right there. They want to like fix the world. They, they're community oriented, but they're also very like weird. (laughs) They think outside the box. They don't, well, you, you have Aquarius in your, um, Mars and your Venus sign, which is why you don't go for conventional relationships. I love how you told me this multiple times and it's a surprise to me every time you tell me. (laughs) But then you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. 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 That's why I'm single. Her <laughs> Venus and Mars is in Capricorn, which is a more practical-based Earth sign, and it's all about, like, understanding the value of things, and you can actually even, like, Capricorns can be very cutthroat. Yes. So when you think of, like, a cutthroat businessman, that's a Capricorn. All right. All right. Anyway. I like them cutthroat. They get right to the point. Yes. They don't but fuck around. sometimes they do it at your detriment. Yeah, and you're like, excuse the so, fuck out of me, and then my Aries chaos yeah. is released, and it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, because you're an Aries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what'd you say to me? <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's Jean. I know a lot of you won't get Jean that, Queen. but I'm just putting that out there. Anyway, so back to you. our story. We don't need you to get it. We just need you to listen. <laughs> if there's like one person listening that's into astrology, they'll be all about it. You're um, welcome. And you're welcome. I live to serve because I'm a Virgo. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> she brought it around. Full circle. <laughs> so Jean was the daughter of Henry II, the king of Navarre. Oh, yes. That's one of the 500. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like another Henry. Oh, good. <laughs> and Marguerite of Valois. So Valois. Marguerite had been the sister of King Francis I of France. <laughs> Can't, every time you say you know. that, just people. <laughs> well, do you remember he was the king that traded his two kids as Yeah, hostages? no. Yeah. He was the asshole that traded. Yes, I remember. So that. Jean's mother is his sister. So Jean is his niece. Okay. So Jean is the daughter of the French king and the niece of. I'm sorry. Jean is the daughter of the. Navarre king okay and the niece of the french king okay quite the pedigree yeah yeah so she is both a um princess of navarre and a princess of france all right all right it's a little bit about them just a little bit (laughs) a little bit on the kingdom of navarre 
So you have a picture. Do I? Yes, you I do. do. Look at that. Yeah. That the Kingdom picture. of Navarre was a tiny kingdom tucked between modern day Spain and France during the medieval and Renaissance period. It's so little. It's very little. Look it was, at it. <laughs> um, it was centered around the Western. I'm probably going to say this wrong. Um, I'm going to go with Pyrenees Mountains. Pyrenees? Pyrenees. That sounds right. That sounds right. Pyrenees Mountains. Yes, the mountain range. That... It's probably wrong because I said it. <laughs> Listen, it's the mountain range. It's that one mountain range. It is the natural border between France and Spain. Okay. And so Navarre, it's on the top left portion of that mountain range. It's on the tippy top. And literally like half of Navarre is on the side of France uh-huh. on the opposite side of the mountain range. And then the other half is on the Spanish side. So they have like a mountain range that's just like hanging out in the middle? Yeah. <laughs> so the re- the kingdom kind of um the kingdom came up um just kind of to serve as a natural buffer in like the 10th century between Spanish and French expansionism. That does not sound like a fun job. No. Like that sounds like a terrible job. Yeah. I don't want it. <laughs> well, and on top of that, um at one point Navarre was actually a larger kingdom, but it was absorbed by Let me see the map. I believe it was Castile. Yeah, Castile? it the, got the giant yellow one. Yes, the Kingdom of Castile, um, which would become Spain once it joined with Aragon. Somebody's fucking with shit in my kitchen. That's fine. Continue. It is what it is. <laughs> um, if we hear glass shatter, no worries. Yeah, so you just you have this interesting, weird little kingdom that has both French and Spanish influences, and depending on what's going on on the political stage in all of Europe, like. Hey, they get heavily involved in this whole conflict. So, I mean, well, yeah. they're little but mighty. <laughs> they're little, but also, like, both Spain and France keep trying to absorb it into their yeah. territories, obviously. Again, it's a terrible job. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. Anyway, so that's Navarre. Now, even though she was the daughter of the King of Navarre, Francis I insisted on taking charge of her education when she was two years old. She was thus raised in one of the French court's royal residences in the Loire Valley. If I was her father, but as long as you don't give her away as like a fucking hostage, I guess we're good. <laughs> oh my God, Rachel, I... No! So it's not a hostage situation, oh, but... <laughs> so that disclaimer didn't happen. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> well... <laughs> Sorry, I gave it away. Why do I keep doing that? Go ahead. No, it's great. <laughs> um, but we'll get there. Oh, no. <laughs> So we know very little about her upbringing outside of the fact that it would have been afforded all the wealth and comforts that a princess of the French court could expect. Her childhood was lonely, though, and she had very few companions her own age and lived entirely apart from her family. Look, friends aren't all they're packed up to be. You need, like, one or two, okay? <laughs> her father allegedly only visited her twice during her childhood. Oh, my God. He's a king. D- who the fuck cares? You're also a father. <laughs> Father first, king second. Listen, children are just political pawn pieces, okay? We don't have to nurture them. God. <laughs> now, this Jean... is why those kids are all fucked up, by the way. If anyone asks. Jean received an expensive education and was tutored by the French poet and humanist Nicholas Bourbon. Did you just say humanist? Humanist. The fuck's a humanist? Oh, God. I figured you were going to ask me that. Sorry. And I'm not... You know what? Here, I did write a little note. So as a humanist, Bourbon had been a proponent of religious reform that landed him in trouble with the Catholic faction of France and led to his imprisonment for a couple of years. Humanists basically came along and they were like, this is getting pulled out of my ass. I might be wrong, but I think I'm mostly right. Um, It's a philosophical stance that emphasizes the individual and social potential 
an agency of human beings that considers human beings as the starting point for serious moral and philosophical inquiry. And they basically came <laughs> along to say that when you, when you apply religion to that, you don't need intermediaries within the church to connect you to God. Weird. I like them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You probably would. I'm a human. That's where Protestant Protestantism, Protestantism <laughs> developed out of. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Anyway. I'm here for it. When Francis ascended to the throne, he released Bourbon from prison. Bourbon subsequently fled to England for a little bit, where he found a kindred spirit in a woman named Anne Boleyn, oh. who lent her protection to Bourbon as both were proponents of church reformation. Is this before or after? Well, obviously, but this is before. This is after, after Henry VIII <laughs> nicked her head off, yes. Yeah, it's after. She we'll, is, we have this horseman. We'll do Anne Boleyn <laughs> one day. She's another very oh, fascinating woman. Um, well, she's as my I favorite. Was that question, I realized of, the question was stupid. Queens. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> she's my favorite of Henry VIII's queens. I yes. used to like ask people on dating I apps. That you like, have a favorite because he has so fucking many. Yeah. is amazing. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I have a list of oh, rankings. Of course you do. <laughs> fucking Virgo. <laughs> I used to hate Catherine of Aragon because they were like <sighs> rivals, but then I learned more about her and oh, I was yeah. like, I can't hate her. I now. really can't hate you. I just hate Henry. <laughs> That's uh, fair. One of the many that Did have you existed. Know that the two who play Catherine and Harry dating. in the show are dating. Yeah, that makes I saw so that. Happy. They're very pretty together. They're adorable. Yeah, Sorry. good for them. Tangents. <laughs> As a young and wealthy princess of Europe, Jean was an important chess piece on the board of European politics. Both her father and her uncle intended to use Jean for the benefit of their respective kingdoms' foreign policies. God. Roll your eyes now. <laughs> It's going to get worse. Oh, God. <laughs> her status made her an especially sought-out bachelorette, and at one point in her youth, Charles V, the King of Spain, and the Holy Roman Emperor sought to have her married to his son, the future Philip II of Spain. Whoa. Wait. Didn't one of Catherine's kids marry him? Yeah, Mary Tudor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait. Oh, God. Wait. So. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, both. So Mary Tudor married him, and also Catherine's daughter Elizabeth married him. Jesus. Yeah. Aggressive. Wait. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I had to do a I have to connect take. the pieces in my head. He <laughs> married Elizabeth first. She died in childbirth. And then um, Elizabeth was Catherine de Medici's daughter. And then yeah. he married Mary Tudor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then shit went down with Mary Tudor. Yeah. She burned a lot of Protestants. We'll, we'll talk about it. One day. <laughs> One day. Now, the match was rejected, likely because Francis understood that a marriage between the Princess of Navarre and the heir to the Spanish throne would have likely resulted in Spain's annexation of Navarre. And he didn't want that. In the end, Francis arranged the marriage of his niece to Willem de la Marque, the Duke of Cleves, in 1540, against the wishes of Jean's parents and Jean herself. Well, that's fun. I mean, Jean doesn't have a say. She's a woman. Calm down. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Just you wait. Oh, shit. I'm here for it. So going forward, I'm going to, um, we're going to be saying Jean refused a lot. Just Jean so you know. Oh, I love her already. <laughs> so William was known as William the Rich and occupied one of the wealthiest provinces in what is modern day Germany. That's your moniker, mm -hmm. William the Rich. He was also the brother of Anne of Cleves, who had been Henry VIII of England's fourth wife. There's too many wives for that man. I'm no. just saying. She's the one that, um... Oh. He rejected because he thought she was ugly. What a piece. And she gets to live, though. She gets I to mean, live. It's great. It's she's, great. She's one of the few wives that, like, survived Henry VIII. 
We'll talk about her Man, one day, too. <laughs> now, Jean was only 11 years old when this marriage was arranged and famously did not want to marry the German Duke. Oh my God, I just love the idea of an 11-year-old being like, fuck that! <laughs> Before the wedding occurred, Jean had official papers drawn up to record her refusal of the match, where she declared the following. This is all in, like, this... The way yeah. she wrote was very verbose, even for me. So yes. just bear with me. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, Jean de Navarre, persisting in the protestations Stop. I have already made, do hereby again affirm in protest by these present that the marriage which is desired to contract between the Duke of Cleves and myself is against my will, that I have never consented to it, nor will I consent ever. Just say no. She's 11. You can, 11-year-old child who's in fifth grade, you can just say no. She is 11 years Just old. be like, no. It's a two-letter word, really easy to understand, even though men still to this day don't understand it. It's really easy. Jean continued to protest the marriage right up until the actual wedding day when it was said that she oh was, God. she had to be whipped into submission. Whoa, that's, you know, that's aggressive. 11-year-old child. Yep. I just want to see her, like, yanking the whip out of her hand and be like, how do you like it? <laughs> Sorry. Her wedding gown was extravagant, as you would expect for a royal child bride. Eleven year old. She's 11 years old. How extravagant can it be? The skirt of her dress was made with cloth of silver and gold and encrusted with jewels. She was so hampered down by her wedding dress um, that... She needed help walking? Yeah. Are you well, kidding me? So, Jean continued to protest the marriage right up to the point of walking to the altar to meet her husband, where it was said that she had to be carried by our old friend. She literally went the limp, like, in someone's arms, like, fuck you. You remember Anne de Montmorency? Come the fuck off. He's the one that carried her. Oh my god, he's like, girl, I Constable understand <laughs> Yeah, he had to physically carry her. Now, whether this was because Jean's dress was so heavy that she had to be physically carried or because she had to be dragged kicking and screaming depends on the source you read. Nope, my source is she was like, this dress is heavy as fuck. I don't want to marry this guy. So here you go. I'm limp. Gary yeah, I like both. to imagine her trying to bite him and scratch him as yes. he's carrying her. That's, and like kick him. And, that oh, is yeah. my headcanon that makes of crazy. this wedding. I'm here for it. <laughs> now, according to witness testimony, the nuptials were never completed either. She refused to say them. <laughs> I love this little 11-year-old so much. Once the marriage ceremony was completed, Jean did everything she could to prevent her departure of France to her husband's estates in Germany and continually requested an annulment. Um, in the end, she never has to leave to leave France for Germany. Oh my gosh, yes. She's so, bitch. <laughs> thanks in part to circumstances largely out of her control, Jean's request for an annulment was granted on the grounds that it had never been consummated. Thank, Thank God. God. Yeah. <laughs> and that she had never consented to it in the first place. So basically what happened. Um, well, now they're okay with like listening to a woman's consent. No, it's not. It had nothing to do with oh, that. Okay. Well, that was the grounds they okay. were able to use. But so the marriage between Jean and William had been contingent on his support of France. Oh. When it became more fortuitous for William to ally with Spain, he agreed to oh. the annulment and the Pope at the time followed up by officially dissolving the marriage. All right. Maybe. I don't know, guys, if we just didn't do the marriage in the fucking first place because right. she's 11. But, you know. So Jean was officially a divorcee by the age of 15. <laughs> I mean, power to her. <laughs> Jean got to enjoy a couple of years of freedom before a second marriage was arranged for her on October 20th, 1548 to Antoine de Bourbon, the first prince of the blood of France. Oh. Um, so first prince of the blood is a title given to 
basically like a cousin of the royal family. So Antoine de Bourbon was in the line of succession after Henry II and Catherine de Medici's children. Okay. Yeah. All right. So like he's not going to be king ever unless everyone else dies. Well, we already know what happens in Catherine de Medici's episodes, but (laughs) yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But in theory. But at at the time, obviously he was far enough, um, far, far removed enough that like, basically you just, he gets titles and he's, um, he's still a member of the royal family. So he's afforded a certain amount of, uh, luxuries. Pomp and circumstance. Pomp and circumstance, (laughs) land, titles, blah, blah, blah. All the fun. All the fun trimmings. And he doesn't even have to be a king. Um, so Jean had been 20 years old and Antoine was 30. Fortunately for Jean, this appeared to be a love match, at least oh. in the early years. Okay. One of, all? Yeah. In the early years. One of Jean's contemporaries wrote of her that she had no pleasure or occupation except in talking about or writing to her husband. Ew. She does it in company and in private. The waters cannot quench the flame of her love. Ew, she's literally that person that I hate. Whenever I go to any sort of outing, they're like, my boyfriend. She's a young 20-year-old bride. Your boyfriend has a fucking name, first of all. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Well, that was an issue I had with that one person I dated oh, who just God. kept calling me his girlfriend. And my I was like, boyfriend. I have a name. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's a thing for me, too. Not yeah, a fan. great. <laughs> Antoine allegedly also wrote love letters to Jean frequently whenever he was on military campaign, begging her father to grant her permission to visit him. In one of those letters, he writes, I must see you, either here or there, as I cannot live any longer without you. That is so disgusting. <laughs> They're in love. No, I don't understand. It's great. It. Every, it's everybody great. gets a happy ending. No. I love how I'm like, ew, forced marriages, but then you're talking about a love match. I'm like, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but don't get too excited. I can't, you can't win with me, guys. It's just Don't get gross. too excited. Oh, okay. That's unfortunate. Like most oh, of yeah. the bourbons of this time, Antoine was a notorious philanderer, despite his many proclamations of love. Yeah. Who sure. even have um, a child with another woman. A bastard <sighs> child. Yeah. That's why love is bullshit. Anyway. <laughs> now, Jean would end up having their first child three years into their marriage, but tragedy struck early on, and the boy died less than two years later, allegedly due to accidental suffocation. What? So he died of SIDS, basically? So um, the exact cause of the death is unknown, but it's been suggested that his governess had kept him swaddled in an airless room of the ward. Um, an airless room? There was a lot of disease and plague oh. going on, so they were trying to keep him in an area they figured would be safe, but it ended up suffocating him. But you need air to live. Do you? Sometimes. <laughs> um. Yeah, so he died. Oh, that's so sad. In the end, Jean and Antoine would did go on to have... Did survive? Um, they did fire her. By beheading her? Or like, were they just like, maybe make yourself scarce immediately? I'm sure they sent her off into one of the plague cities and were like, good luck. I don't know. I didn't go to a nunnery. I didn't follow the <laughs> governess. I'm sorry. Oh, God. I didn't follow the story. <laughs> it's, it's neither here nor there, but I have questions. Go ahead. <laughs> In the end, Jean and Antoine would go on to have five children. Damn. The only two of them lived to adulthood. Wow. Henry de Bourbon was born in 1553, and Catherine de Bourbon was born in 1559. How interesting. Okay. As the... Literally, there's only two maids in this era. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Three with Elizabeth. Yeah. (laughs) As we know from our Catherine de Medici episodes, Antoine de Bourbon was notoriously fickle and changed his opinions on matters of politics and religion, 
about as often as he changed his clothes. Yeah, he's the one who went back and forth. Yep. Yep. This is, yeah. I forgot. I don't like him. This is his wife. <laughs> okay. Now, when it comes to the marriage of Antoine and Jean, Jean is very much the one that wears the pants in the relationship. Yes. Just keep that in mind going okay. forward. I would assume, since he can't make a fucking decision. <laughs> in May of 1555, Jean's father died and passed along the throne of Navarre to Jean. Unlike France, the Kingdom of Navarre did not hold to the Salic law, which barred women from inheriting the throne. I love it. And so Jean became Queen Regnant of Navarre and ruled jointly with Antoine de Bourbon. Jean became... Jean, Jean the Queen! <laughs> She's officially known as Jean the Third of Navarre. Jean the Queen. Or Jean the Queen. Jean the Queen. If you're us. Yeah. <laughs> She's 27 years old. 27? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I didn't do shit when I was 27. <laughs> In August of the same year, they were officially crowned and anointed according to the rites of the Roman Catholic Church. Alright, alright. Hi, Gremlin. The Gremlin is here to fuck shit up. <laughs> As Antoine was constantly away on military campaign, Jean frequently ruled Navarre completely alone. And upon ascending to the throne, she immediately set out to restructure the royal household and the Navarre government with her own people. Yes. Right around the time Jean and Antoine ascended to the throne of Navarre is when Protestantism was beginning to spread south into France and Navarre from Germany. It's a fucking disease. (laughs) (laughs) Despite never having been raised by her mother, it is said that Jean's religious beliefs were largely influenced by her. Interesting. As Marguerite had been a champion of humanist teachings and sympathetic to the idea of religious reform. All right, all right. She was especially amenable to the Calvinist doctrine, which was already gaining support in France, where a new religious group was forming, known as the Huguenots. You know what's really great is I like vaguely remember these names from talking about them in like what seventh fucking grade, like any seventh grade, yeah. paying attention to this this topic. Nobody does. Yeah, it, it's such an important topic too, but people don't tell the story right. No, well they tell it to fucking seventh graders. I mean, what seventh graders can be like, ooh, ah, yes, tell me more about this religious unrest. If you started <laughs> by saying one of the leaders of this religious unrest was as a little girl dragged down a wedding aisle kicking and screaming, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd probably pay more attention. Yeah. Right? Possibly. Yeah, if you're... Yeah. I didn't get I really interested in this until after college, but yeah. fair. <laughs> but that's just, it just bores me that we try to teach kids this, and it's like kids don't... Well, I remember care. doing a book report on Catherine of Aragon, and I actually got very interested. I really love that whole sentence that you just told me. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I did a book report on fucking mountain lions. Like, <laughs> that tells you guys where our, our uh, interests align. <laughs> I went to a more liberal-based school. <laughs> so we were taught history. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I was never interested in American history. It was always European. Because American history is not that interesting. It it can it be. It is when we go anywhere else. It it can be, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Back to our story. So sorry. <laughs> Who were the Huguenots? Do you remember? You want to try to... T- you want me to do specific names? No. Do you, like, do you remember what they believed in? Like, what made them different from Catholics? They didn't believe that they needed a fucking messenger to talk to God. Yes. Yeah. That is the crass way of putting it. Yes. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. I'm crass. <laughs> no, that's that's great. Yeah, that's... you didn't need the freaking Roman pap- papacy, pap- papacy, papacy, to you don't need speak any to your gods. You don't need or any human God, inter- <laughs> intermediaries yeah. to communicate with God. And that was the whole issue I had with Catholicism. Um, Does that make you a Protestant? No, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> you're what you are. I don't even know what you are. You're I'm a mix of things. Spiritual. Yeah. <laughs> I always say spiritually non-denominational. Well, the Huguenots were a Protestant faction born out of France, created in direct opposition to the Roman Catholic Church, which they denounced for its alleged corruption. <laughs> the Huguenots the also... The Huguenots denounce Catholicism for its corruption, not the other. Did I not say it that way? No, it just, you, you could have gotten lost in the. Okay. Yeah. Well, Kat said it. <laughs> You're She's going to take over the podcast. No, the fuck I'm not. <laughs> the Huguenots also rejected two pieces of dogmatic doctrines within the Catholic faith. First, they rejected the Holy Eucharist, where bread and wine are consecrated in a holy ceremony and then consumed as the flesh and blood of Jesus. You guys, I might actually be Protestant. <laughs> You mean that's not actually cannibalism that you're doing? No. Of your God. Those wafers, though. I've I've spoken of this before (laughs) on this podcast. Those goddamn wafers. They are. They're scrumptious. I think I have. I must have been to at least one Catholic ceremony because I do remember those wafers. They are good. They were delicious. They are delicious. I think... I think what it is is Protestantism has its own version, but you understand, like, it's not even wine. They give you great juice. So does that mean... So they still believe in the whole christ story yeah okay they just don't believe you're literally eating god (laughs) oh my god i didn't know catholics believed that but i I guess i just am a shitty catholic i I don't know if they still do this was just at the time okay ask your mom i have questions about the fucking catholics sorry that's actually human flesh like that's not so so in the bible the what jesus did was he um, gave his body and his blood Right yeah. before he died. But he converted it, too. So, like, I think that's the story. No, he did. Here is my body. So that's blood. what they're saying the yeah. ceremony is. You're, it's redoing that event from the Bible. That's why okay. certain people within just, as, as you the Catholic faith. I just, it, the, it's just the fucking ridiculousness of this whole wars of religion. Because, We're just starting. I know. <laughs> I'm going to get back into it. I worry. The second thing they rejected um, was what Kat already distinctly mentioned they rejected papal authority yeah. which obviously the pope in rome is not gonna be happy about. yeah <laughs> that's a problem my one reason for being on this earth now as huguenot support gained traction henry ii of france began to crack down on practitioners of protestantism prosecuting anyone that distributed protestant literature and those that openly practiced the chief form of prosecution during henry ii's reign had been burning so-called protestant heretics at the stake Ugh. remember that yeah that's, I do. Now this is that's where we're at. Yeah. It you was don't believe the same as me. You kinda do, but not really, so I'm gonna burn you. It was in the context of all this growing religious unrest that Jean and Antoine were said to have embraced Protestantism. Jean the Queen is a Protestant. <laughs> <laughs> but due to King Henry II's increasing fanaticism in France, both Jean and Antoine were unable to openly proclaim themselves as Protestants. Yeah. Well, because they're surrounded by Catholics at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even though they're king and queen of Navarre, their status means they are still part of the French court and they're often visiting the French court. Ooh. Yeah. That's so terrible. as these prosecutions are going on, they have to be at court pretending like they don't care. Wow. That's not great. In 1555, Jean and Antoine traveled from Navarre to Paris to visit the French court and dispel rumors that were popping up of their Protestant sympathies. Uh-oh. Somewhere along the way, they end up picking up an ex-monk named Pierre David, and as he traveled with them through France, he preached various reformist literature beliefs. This is amazing. Well, but like, so okay. he's, he's an ex-Catholic monk. 
Sounds like it. Yeah. I didn't go look into too much detail, but yeah, he's, he's preaching reformist beliefs in France. I love this monk and I've never even met him. <laughs> so even as Jean and Antoine were traveling to the French court to squash rumors that they were supporting the new heretical religion, one of the members of their own entourage was planting the seeds that would later take root in France. You're like, dude, maybe chill fuck out. Like, we're trying to just... Face, face <laughs> is on! Face is on! <laughs> Predictably, King Henry II was completely outraged when Jean and Antoine arrived with a known heretic in tow. And Jean and her husband would end up being chased out of Paris or leaving in disgust, again, depending on the source you read. Oh, God. <laughs> they left in disgust of the Catholics in France. I'm going to go with that. That's my story. Or the court. That's fair. Which was very, as we know. Not great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd leave in disgust, too. But when, I would also say words. When Jean returned to her kingdom of Navarre, she invited several Protestant theologians to her court and instructed them to educate the nobles of her kingdom about the principles of the Reformation. She's like, well, hell, if they're going to blame me, then why not just dope them down? <laughs> By 1560, Jean the Queen openly converted to Calvinism and made it the official religion of Navarre. Yes. France now officially had an openly Protestant kingdom on its borders. Right Following the conversion, priests and nuns were banished from Navarre. That's rude. Catholic churches were destroyed, and the money attained by the churches was redistributed to fund new Calvinist churches and schools within Navarre. See, this is just evidence of no side is a good side in yes. this story, This guys. whole story like, is going to be that. Both sides are doing the exact same bullshit. It's just we... We get a little more aggressive. I will Catholics. say Jean's not killing them. Yeah. Monks. She's not committing a fucking massacre. She's not killing them. Uh, okay. They're not allowed. You emphasize killing really so I'm, strongly. I'm saying that because Elizabeth I of England, um, who I, I love, she's my yeah. girl. She gets a lot of credit for kind of doing what Catherine tried to do, which yeah. is toe the moderate line. Mm -hmm. But her people also killed Catholic yeah. priests. Yeah. So we'll, we're going to end yeah. with. The story is going to end with Queen Elizabeth because she's okay. my girl. Ow. But yeah, bad shit also happened there. Oh. Any Bad shit always happens when fanaticism enters the story. Exactly. Well, That's all this story is. Yeah, <laughs> just fanaticism in its fullest. Jean also understood that by openly converting to Calvinism, her country was wedged between two very powerful Roman Catholic kingdoms. I feel like you've already explained this. Or maybe Again, between Spain and France. Yeah, but why are we calling it Calvinism now? There's different sects of Protestantism. Oh, okay. I know. Okay. And I didn't go into the details of what separates. Um, so there was Calvinism and there was, I can't remember the other one. Lutheranism. Yeah. So. See, I remember all these names. Yeah. But I don't remember the actual so, specifics. If I recall correctly, Lutheranism was specifically targeted by France um, because the court knew it couldn't prosecute Calvinism okay. because too many of high ranking nobles were known to be Calvinists. So okay. he couldn't alienate them. At least this was Fran or Henry II. That changes after he dies. Okay. Well, I will... Calvinists differ from Lutherans on a spiritual, real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper, theories of worship, the purpose and meaning of baptism, and the use of God's law for believers, among other points. Interesting. So yeah, you get breaks even within <laughs> Protestantism. Yeah, right? Calvinism salvation belief is that of predestination chosen few, whereas Lutheranism believes anyone can attain salvation. Interesting. Okay. All right. 
I would probably side more with the Lutheranism then because yeah. the Calvinism has this whole like, oh, you're special. I hate using yeah. the term snowflake, but oh, you're so special. Yeah. You're one of God's chosen, yeah. but you're not. Yeah. Jean and Antoine had initially started out as a love match, but time and difference in commitment to the Calvinist faith eventually drove a wedge in their marriage. Right around this time, Henry II dies thanks to a lance splintering through his face during a joust. Remember that? Yes, I do remember that. Remember how Catherine, Catherine was like, maybe don't do this. Maybe don't. Catherine actually had a prophetic dream about yeah, this. Yeah. Catherine de' Medici. Listen to our Catherine de Medici episodes yeah, if you haven't already. Catherine de' Medici is like, hey, look, I had a prophetic dream. I'm like, tell me all so I cannot do it. Yes. <laughs> the new king of France was Catherine de' Medici's 15-year-old son, Francis. His young wife had been Mary Stuart, Queen of Scots. When Francis came to the throne of France, (laughs) I can't get over that. Francis of France. (laughs) Power was usurped by Mary's two uncles, Francois and Charles of Guise. There's no way there's a Francois and a Francis. His name was probably Francis. They're probably all Francis, but I'm going to go with Francois for him. Disgusting. (laughs) The Guise family had been fanatical champions of the Catholic faith and continued Henry II's legacy of brutal prosecutions of anyone practicing. It's not a legacy you want. Protestantism in France. No, they did. This was an especially dangerous time for Jean and Antoine to be Protestants. By now, people in France were growing increasingly disenchanted with the Guise family, and a new conspiracy was growing to have them physically removed from power. Uh Uh-oh. As the highest-ranking Protestants in France, it would normally have fallen to Jean's husband to lead the Protestant forces. But Antoine did not possess the disposition of a rebel leader, and so the mantle of command seemed to pass naturally to Antoine's brother, Louis de Bourbon, the Prince of Condé. It was Jean's brother-in-law that would end up leading the Huguenot forces in France. At one point, the Prince of Condé's Huguenot forces ended up actually besieging Catherine de' Medici, Francis, and the rest of the French court in the Chateau d'Amboise in an attempt to coup and over in an attempted coup <laughs> in order to overthrow the Guise family. The conspiracy ends up failing, but it marked a turning point with the Catholic leaders of the French nobility, who openly declared Protestants the enemy including high-ranking members of the noble class. That's not great. Yeah, they also um, executed several members of the court who were Protestant. Wow. Yes. You remember that when they did the executions in the courtyard and Catherine told her children? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Here, kids. Here's some trauma for you. (laughs) Good luck. So much trauma. In time, Antoine and his brother would openly take up arms and begin attacking towns in southern France with Huguenot forces. Catherine de Medici ended up calling on them both to show themselves at the French court to answer for their crimes. As we already know, this turned out to be a trap, and both Antoine and Louis de Bourbon were imprisoned. It is very likely that Jean's husband and brother-in-law would have been convicted of treason and executed right then and there, but for the fickle hand of fate that decided to come down from the heavens and kill the now 16-year-old king of France with an unfortunate ear infection. Oh yeah, I forgot he died from a goddamn ear infection. That's mm-hmm. so sad, I shouldn't be laughing. But I, It was a little more than that. He was perpetually yeah. sick all the time. Yeah, all of Catherine's kids were sickly. Yeah. Except for Henry. Henry had his moments. It was actually Margot. Mm-hmm. Remember, she like inherited the mm-hmm. famous constitution of Catherine de' yeah. Medici. She's like, look, I'm not sick every five. <laughs> 
Now, Catherine de' Medici used this moment to grab power for herself and the future nine-year-old King Charles IX of France by making a deal with Antoine de Bourbon. If you want the story, go back and listen. <laughs> Basically, she said she would release him and save his brother, the Prince of Condé, if Antoine agreed to renounce his claim to the regency over the new king of France. Because again, as the senior prince of the blood, mm-hmm. it's basically between him and the Guises over who gets to control the king. Yeah. So she told him, if you support me, you and your brother will be yeah. safe. That's not a real choice. <laughs> no, it wasn't for anybody. That <laughs> was like life. That right. was Catherine's introduction yeah. to the political scene, and she did it with she nailed it. fireworks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jean's husband She's agreed like, to the deal, which effectively negated the power of the Guise family and put Antoine in the position of Lieutenant General of France. Now, as Catherine de' Medici began to shift power around in the French court, pressure was applied to both Antoine and Jean to openly convert back to Catholicism. By this point, the two were both living at the French court due to Antoine's position. As we already know, Antoine decided to renounce Protestantism and switch back to Catholicism. Maybe have a conversation with your wife before you do that. (laughs) But Jean refused. Yeah, again, conversation. Just just get used to that sentence. Yeah, Jean refused. refused. (laughs) This is the second time that she's refused. At one point, Jean refused to attend mass with the rest of the French court, and Antoine threatened to have her punished if she did not comply. She's like, fuck you, you coward. You ain't going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right? She's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Pray at me, bitch! Jean had been notoriously stubborn and willful as a child, and the little girl that had been that had to be dragged kicking and screaming to the altar of her first marriage She's had there. only grown more obstinate and headstrong with time. And now she was self-righteous to boot. Oh, no. She would not budge. That is not a good combo. Catherine de Medici is said to have even interfered on Antoine's behalf to try and persuade Jean to convert if only to prevent a war from breaking out between the factions of Catholics and Huguenots within the royal French court. Catherine's like, look, I know, I get it. He's a weak little bitch, but come on. This is also the time Catherine is still trying to toe that middle ground. She's like, I don't want Protestants to die. Yeah. I don't understand their beliefs. This is before the massacre. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But on this one regard, Catherine de Medici had met her contemporary equal. Jean refused to budge even an inch. She refused. She even continued to have Protestant services conducted in her private apartments despite being ber- forbidden from doing so. I thought they were allowed to do it in private. This isn't that not yet. yet. We're not at that treaty? Nope, we okay. are not at that treaty yet. Okay. God, can't, you can't even practice your fucking nope. own religion in your own fucking house? Nope. Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> in the end, it is said that Jean was forced to flee court in fear of both Antoine and Catherine de' Medici's tempers. Um, She's like, I don't even want to be here. <laughs> more than likely just Catherine's temper. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, Antoine doesn't have a temper. Antoine just does what he's told. <laughs> so she, she flees for the safety of her country in Navarre. Now, while on the road, Jean decided to make a temporary stop in her husband's ancestral home of Vendôme. While there, a small troop of Huguenot forces consisting of 400 Huguenot soldiers invaded the town. Small force? <laughs> Hmm? Small force of 400? <laughs> yeah, it's just a tiny yeah. little force. <laughs> you, you got your wish, mostly. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Jean had attempted to intervene on the town's behalf, but in the end, she was unable to stop them from pillaging the town, destroying the churches, and desecrating the tombs of Antoine's ancestors. Um, that's problematic. Yeah. So Antoine... Why do you gotta go straight for the fucking tombs? I, because they're 
angry. I don't know. I know, but what if... Well, this this enraged Antoine because yeah. he may be fickle and he may be completely inept, but he is prideful as fuck. So yeah. he was like, they, the Huguenots messed with my, my ancestral... My ancestors, yeah. Yeah, like, this is not okay, Jean. Like, they're clearly the yeah. evil ones come back. Yeah. She's like, you want to talk about your side? Because we don't have all day. <laughs> Antoine even had an arrest warrant drawn up for his wife and threatened to have her dragged back to Paris and sent to a Catholic convent to spend the rest of her heretical days if she you didn't return. The wife that wears the fucking pants in this relationship, <laughs> that one, who would literally be like, hey, guess what? I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> but this is Jean the Queen. <laughs> Jean the Queen. <laughs> she would not be thwarted by anyone, least of all a fickle husband. What does Jean say? So she just she just resumes her journey, and She's she like, fuck you. She makes a mad dash for the border of Navarre um, while evading her would be captors. And I guess like the moment she crossed the border, the soldier that had been instructed to capture her like he she had to stop at the border. I can't go. I can't caught do up it. right when she crossed. And I just imagine her turning around, just giving deuces two, two, two middle fingers. <laughs> Except she's puritanical, so she probably just smiled and then continued she on her way. Like a cute little smirk. Like, yeah. Okay, bitch. <laughs> but like with like, you know, God's intention or whatever. <laughs> when Jean the Queen made it back to Navarre, she was heralded as a champion of Calvinism by its leaders, including John Calvin himself, the originator yes. of the movement. Antoine de Bourbon was subsequently disparaged by all Protestants, his reputation blackened. Subsequently. Subsequently disparaged by all Protestants. I'm sorry. It's fine. <laughs> we do it every episode. <laughs> That's like a tomato tomato thing. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, write us. <laughs> We're going to have a poll on Facebook that Cass never going to post. <laughs> now, one of the letters written about Antoine de Bourbon even said that he was now despised by the party he espoused, abhorred by all that he had betrayed, and condemned by the honest and upright of both. Wow. That's aggressive. <laughs> Jean and Antoine would never see each other again after this point. I mean. She's probably like, thanks, Doug. Because in 1562, Antoine de Bourbon received a mortal wound during the siege of Rouen. It was said that before he died, Antoine let a Catholic priest hear his final confession only to renounce Catholicism the next day. Yeah, that doesn't work like that, bro. He then declared that he wished to die as a Calvinist. Wow. When Jean heard that her husband had been wounded, she attempted to reach him so that she could be at his bedside when he died. But in the end, French royalist forces refused to grant her permission to cross enemy lines. Wow. You can't come see your dying husband because you don't believe. you. Okay. You believe the th- same things we believe, just not the same way. Just not in the same way. Yeah. 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 Same and God, just we believe yeah. in him a little differently. Yeah. Antoine de Bourbon died on November 17, 1562. Jean was left to mourn in private for the next couple of weeks. He had died one day after her birthday. Oh, no. Jean is now 35 years old. Well, at least he didn't die the day before her birthday. <laughs> <laughs> She's, like, traveling on her birthday to get to her dying as husband's. Yeah. Okay. That sucks. <laughs> With her husband dead, Jean was now the sole ruler of Navarre, and she would rule Navarre as its queen until her eight-year-old son, Henry de Bourbon, came of an age to take it over himself. I'm sorry. Eight years old is not of an age. 
Yeah, it'll be like when he's 15. Eight. Okay, I was like, eight years old is not <laughs> of an age. <laughs> With Antoine gone, Henry was now the official first prince of the blood of France and fourth in line to the French throne. Which Henry is this? Henry of Navarre. Okay. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> the future Henry the Fourth of France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember? Yep. Okay. <laughs> spoiler alert! Hey! Is it a spoiler? We've already uh, talked about that. I guess if you haven't listened episode. to those episodes, then that's on you. Yeah, it's your fault. <laughs> Catherine de Medici famously received a prophecy that Henry de Bourbon would one day sit on the throne after her sons, Francis, Charles, and Henry. God. A different Henry. Different Henry. Not From so. here on out, Catherine would keep a close eye on the young King of Navarre. Yeah. <laughs> Jean, in turn, made sure to keep him close to her. She would take Henry along with her on her own royal processions made throughout the Kingdom of Navarre whenever she had to tend to administrative affairs. It was also during this time that Jean introduced Henry to reformist literature and familiarized slash maybe indoctrinated (laughs) him with the Calvinist doctrine. I just, it it makes me happy that she is actually the queen. She's not the regent. She's not anything but the queen. queen. She is the real Jean the queen. (laughs) She is Jean the queen. queen. (laughs) (laughs) Now that she was completely unencumbered by her late husband's influence, Jean took full control over the affairs of state in Navarre and entrusted her seneschals with seeing that her religious, social, and political objectives were carried out to her standard within the kingdom. As the first and second wars of religion raged on in France between Catholic royalists and Protestant Huguenots, Jean maintained a mostly neutral position, refusing to engage her forces in the conflicts. During these early wars, Jean was more preoccupied with fending off any attempt made by Catholic Spain from invading her kingdom to the south. And this is when we hear of her investing in various fortifications along her borders. Okay. Because again, um, I think I think Philip is king now. And he does not like having a Protestant neighbor on his borders. Yeah. So there's the constant threat of Spain invading. I mean, it's always been a threat, but it's a little stronger now. Yeah. Because you've just basically been like, yeah. Um, But as Jean was recently widowed and still relatively young, she continued to fend off marriage proposals from suitors looking to capitalize on the power of her small kingdom. She fended off marriage proposals. It was was Philip who was in charge now because he actually offered his own son as a potential marriage partner. She's like, I ain't marrying your Catholic son. That's not happening. Yeah, I think it was Don Juan that was the crazy Don Juan? Don Juan. (laughs) Don Juan. That had to be locked up. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, he, like, legitimately crazy. Oh, that's not great. Um, but even though Jean did not directly... Hold on. So what do you think she did when she was offered that marriage proposal? Did she... I'm gonna go with Jean refused! She refused, yes. <laughs> Jean refused. <laughs> even though Jean did not directly interfere in the early wars of religion in France, she did offer Navarre as refuge to political exiles and Huguenots fleeing the wars. Predictably, Jean's status as the political leader of the Huguenot party became more and more pronounced and thus began to upset papal authority in Rome. Oh, no. Over the next couple of years, the Pope... It doesn't take anything to upset papal authority in Rome. Over the next couple of years, the Pope sent several envoys to Navarre to coerce Jean into reconverting to Catholicism and renounce Protestantism in her country. That's literally hypocrisy in its finest. You cannot coerce conversion. Um, So one of her official responses documented was, the authority of the Pope's legate is not recognized in Bern, which was the capital of Navarre. 
damn, that hit their ego so hard. This enraged Pope Pius IV, who issued an official <laughs> citation. Pius, but he's this way. Anyway. <laughs> he is issued he issues an official citation for jean and demanded that she bring herself to rome immediately to answer for charges of heresy please tell me jean refused jean refused yes <laughs> according to the stories pope pius the fourth allegedly concocted a plot to have jean physically kidnapped and given over to the spanish inquisition oh my god you can't do that he even invited both Spain and France to invade the kingdom of Navarre and annex it into their own kingdoms. They're both like, yeah, we're not going to do that. In the final citation issued to Jean, the Pope declared that if she did not bring herself to Rome to stand for trial, he would excommunicate her, confiscate all her land and property in both France and Navarre, and declare a papal sanctioned free-for-all <laughs> to anyone that wished to invade the kingdom of Navarre. Whoa! You can't... No! Jean refused. Jean refused. <laughs> Fortunately for her, this blatant abuse of papal authority and threat to directly involve Rome in the affairs of the sovereign kingdom proved incredibly alarming not only to Catherine de Medici, but to King Philip in Spain. Because um, it, it sets a bad precedent. Yeah. It's like, if you're going to do this here, what happens if I displease you? Are you going to come yeah. in and replace me? Yeah. <laughs> so they actually um, both protested it. And oh, wow. Catherine ends up writing several angry letters to the Pope to dissuade him from acting on the citation. Like, Can you pretend to be the holy person you are for five minutes? She really, it's, it's not even about that. She's just like, she truly believed that the status of the monarchy as being um, above. It, it's it's kind of like the Pope's power. It comes directly yeah. from God. They believed that's what the monarchy is, that the yeah. king and queen's power comes directly from God. She's like, you can't interfere in that. Yeah. That's her only concern. Oh, my gosh. I have so many more, but go ahead. Whatever her personal feelings may have been for Jean, removing a crowned and anointed queen set a bad precedent that Catherine simply would not stand for. Well, yeah, because they wouldn't even remove the princes of the blood because that mm -hmm. sets that precedent. Exactly. Well, now, but don't yeah. worry. Spoiler <laughs> alert, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> In the end, the Pope abandoned his witch hunt and Jean allegedly felt indebted to Catherine de Medici, at least for a couple of years. Just for a couple of years. In time, whatever begrudged respect that existed between Catherine de Medici and Jean de Elbret eventually completely disintegrated. Catherine de Medici had attempted to maintain a policy of moderation and tolerance for Huguenots within France, but that all changed when Huguenot forces attempted to kidnap the royal family and sieged Paris for a year. Right, right. <laughs> Once Catherine began to sanction more aggressive policies to subdue Protestantism, she and her son, Charles IX, threatened to exile Jean and confiscate her property in France, if she, in France, <laughs> in France, if she did not convert back to Catholicism. Jean was also beginning to encounter unrest on the home front as Navarre experienced several protests within its own borders. Jean had been one of the first leaders to create the first set of Purit Puritan laws that made blasphemy and gambling, drunkenness, and prostitution illegal. Whoa, okay. These laws also prohibited Catholic ceremonies from being conducted in Navarre. Why you gotta prohibit shit? Like, you were literally doing what you're mad about the Catholics for doing. Yeah. That sentence made sense in my head. Yeah, but for them, it's literally like your your belief is wrong. And it's evil. Yeah, well, it, none of this makes sense. That's why, like, fanaticism is bad. <laughs> Listen, so kids, fanaticism is bad. Listener, you can confirm. Listen, 
to the words coming out of Rachel's mouth. <laughs> Jean responded to these protests with increasing military suppression of the rebels and legal action against those that were caught breaking the law. Like Catherine de Medici's policy of extreme suppression, Jean followed this action by blanketed compromises and concessions for the people. So they did a lot of suppression and then like, okay, now everybody be nice and happy now. Can we move on? (laughs) No. (laughs) Even though Jean was able to put down the rebellions within her own country, Catholic Spain and France were growing increasingly aggressive and Jean began to fear for the safety of herself and her son, Henry. In 1568, she decided to leave the Kingdom of Navarre and seek refuge within the city of La Rochelle, which sat on the western coast of France and served as a stronghold for the Huguenot cause. Once Jean and Henry were safe in La Rochelle, she introduced her son to his uncle, the Prince of Condé, so that he could become more integrated in Huguenot military affairs. Uh-oh. That sounds like it's going to be a problem. Well, I mean, he is technically the spiritual leader after... The Prince of Conde, so it makes sense to train with him if that's the route you're going to go. Yeah. (laughs) Now that Jean had finally found herself among kindred spirits who were equally devoted to the Protestant movement as she was, Jean was able to direct her full attention to the war effort. It was at La Rochelle that Jean was named the Minister of Propaganda and began to write a series of manifestos detailing the ideals of the Protestant movement. I like that she's, like, actively involved. She is... She is like yeah. She has just decided like let's do it. She's she's technically the political leader. I love it. Like um, the Prince of Condé and Coligny, they're the military leaders. But yeah. Jean is the she face. She's like the figurehead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she also wrote to Protestant leaders around Europe to ask for assistance to fund the war effort. Jean was said to have donated a majority of her own personal jewelry to help raise money and provide supplies for Huguenot soldiers currently engaged with the French Royalist Army. Yeah. Some of her jewelry was also used as collateral to obtain a loan from Queen Elizabeth I in England. Oh, yeah, because she was Protestant as well. Yes. Okay. Um, a lot of times Elizabeth wouldn't commit to sending her own forces, but she kind of does what the United States does and the whole, like, we'll give you yeah. money and supplies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll support you, but, like, not outright. Yeah. <laughs> in addition to taking over the propaganda campaign for the Huguenot cause and raising money for the military campaign, Jean took in refugees of the war and invited the leading Protestant intellectuals and theologians all around Europe to take up residence in La Rochelle. In time, La Rochelle would become one of the most important political and spiritual cities of Protestantism in all of Europe and would remain as such for several decades after her death. Jean was also known to accompany Huguenot soldiers in battle and frequently met with Huguenot military leader, Gaspard de Coligny to inspect the defenses along the battlefield and rally Huguenot soldiers. I'm going to sound like an asshole right now, but I love when they inspect. I'm like, what you inspecting? Do you know what you're inspecting? <laughs> like, <laughs> She's inspecting the She's stuff like, she paid yes, for. She's like, yes, that gun looks great. She's inspecting the stuff she paid for. Okay, fine. <laughs> if, you, if you don't know what you're inspecting. She's also there to like, she provides morale. She's mostly there It's what morale. Catherine de Medici does on the other side. Yeah. Huguenot forces managed to gain a lot of traction in France with Jean's skillful instruction and leadership, but a huge blow was dealt to the Huguenot cause during the Battle of Jarnac when Jean's brother-in-law, the Prince of Condé, was killed in battle. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? This was um, Catherine's son, Henry, came along and, like, um, the Prince of Condé Didn't had... he set him up? No, but, like, the Prince of Condé had fallen from his horse and his leg was already broken. Oh, yeah. So he surrendered. 
he surrendered yeah. to enemy forces and then Catherine de Medici's like, son came along and shot him in the head. Yes, I do recall that. And then they dragged around his body on a mule across because the battlefield. Yep. Exactly. Great. So with Conde dead, Jean and her son, Henry, were now the de facto spiritual and political leaders of the Huguenot movement. Coligny officially took command of the Huguenot forces on Henry de Bourbon's behalf, who is likely 14 or 15 at this point. So he's like, you're the leader, but you still can't, like... You're the leader, but you're still a kid. Yeah, so I will handle this stuff, but yeah. You smile and look pretty. While Jean was away in France, the Catholic faction of Navarre took over most of the kingdom. By the time the Huguenot forces were able to reclaim control over the kingdom, several Catholic leaders had been put to death. This would go on to spark a new round of protest in both France and Navarre. Not that either of them needed any help. (laughs) Even though Huguenot forces lost a couple of important battles in France following the Battle of Jarnac, French royalist forces ran out of money to continue funding the war effort on their side. Because he says, oh no, they're out of money? Oh no! You gonna help the war effort? I don't know if the mic picked up your mail, but it was pretty cute. (laughs) Knock the mic over. Okay. She's so cute. I love her. She would fit in my purse perfectly. No, you cannot take her. I will do a purse check when you leave. Royalist forces had hoped that the Huguenot defeats would result in the army disbanding, but when that did not happen, mutinies began to erupt in their own army amongst the soldiers who had not been paid. Oh, Izzy. She just fell off my lap. It was right around this point that Catherine de' Medici reached out to Gaspard de Coligny to draft up a truce that she hoped would end the war. It was around this time that Catherine proposed a solution to the end of the war in the form of a marriage between her daughter, daughter, Margot of Valois and Jean's son, Henry Guys, de Bourbon. This does not end well. <laughs> we know. No, it doesn't. No. Why? What happened? <sighs> Do you want like the short version or like the long version? <laughs> I'm gonna go into part of it. Wait, it's not. Fun. And then you can finish it. <laughs> now Coligny saw an opportunity in the truce offered and suggested that a deal could be arranged if Catherine could promise full freedom of religion for Huguenots in France. And I just they haven't been able to do it thus far. And also, um, like if maybe France declared war on Spain, like yeah, that would be great. So that France could invade the Netherlands. Remember? Uh, no, no, Remember that's that? not gonna work. Like it's not <laughs> gonna happen. Now, King Charles initially refused these terms, less so because of the Spain thing and more so because he was reluctant to sanction the freedom of religion. In time, God forbid. In time, the war began to swing in the favor of the Huguenots again, as they won several battles with the Royalist army continuing to be assaulted by famine and disease in addition to cannon and gunfire from the oh Huguenot soldiers. Oh my god. <laughs> so... The pendulum is swinging back in the Huguenot favor again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for like five seconds. The Huguenot army was growing increasingly tired and frustrated as well and petitioned the Huguenot nobles to reach out once again to Catherine de' Medici and Charles to negotiate a ceasefire and a truce. The Huguenots were now in a position to argue for more concessions and included a clause that full liberty of conscience restitution of property and office and all sentences of treasons be rescinded for the Huguenot leadership. Jean also wrote to Catherine that she would rather die than compromise on the issue of public worship. She was like, we will not sign your terms unless you grant this. Yeah. I mean, and I will keep fighting for my own death. Yeah. To fight for it. 
This was not an issue she would budge on. If Catherine and Charles could not agree to it, Jean would refuse to relent on her end. Charles and Catherine did refuse the terms posed to them initially, but grew increasingly frustrated with the conviction of the Huguenot leaders. This back and forth would continue between both factions until finally, on August 8, 1570, the Peace of Saint-Germain was signed by royalist and Huguenot leadership. Oh, I just want to be happy for this, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've been split. See, this is why I don't like splits, because why should I be happy when I know it's not going to end well? Why wouldn't it end well? Ugh, I don't Rachel, understand. They, because... They're agreeing to peace. No. <laughs> like, everybody is agreeing on both sides, and they're all on the Are same they? page. Are they? And it's going to end with, like, a beautiful wedding. It's going to be great. No. I mean, if you like the color red, sure, it's beautiful. <laughs> it was a so hu- terrible. I'm so sorry. It was a huge win for the Protestants of France, affording them more rights than had ever been exercised before. Some of the articles of peace included the following. All crimes, being treason, committed during the three wars of religion were to be expunged. The crown beseeched Catholics and Protestants to live peacefully among each other and were forbidden from pursuing grievances brought up in previous wars. Subjects were prohibited from investigating their neighbors as well. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah, I know. That's why I hate neighbors. (laughs) All members of nobility were now free to practice the Huguenot faith openly on their estates, and their subjects were free to do the same. Huguenots would be free to worship openly in all towns that were held by Huguenots as of August 1st, 1570, but they were still forbidden from worshiping or preaching in towns currently held by Catholics, and Protestant worship was forbidden within two leagues of wherever the French court was currently resided. That literally sets it up to fail. The final article barred Huguenot worship within 10 leagues of the city of Paris. Searches for Huguenot worship within Paris and other Catholic-held cities was still prohibited, though. Okay, that's good, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's like you can't conduct a witch hunt on your neighbors. Yeah. But they still set it up <clears throat> for failure. I mean, literally, oh, yeah. they're just like, well, here's this. They're but... like, you, you hold these towns, so fine. We're not going to make you change, but you still can't worship in these other towns. So what's that are stop them us? from trying to take the towns? This officially marked the end of the Third French War of Religion. The third. The fucking third. And in, and it just needed one final thing to seal the deal. Mm. What could that possibly the be? color red? I wonder. <laughs> a wedding, of course. No. Yes. No. <laughs> yes, a wedding. Aren't you excited? Oh, my God. It's going to be so great. So Catherine de' Medici had the brilliant idea of uniting the warring Huguenot and Royalist Catholic factions with a wedding between France's darling princess Margot of Valois and Jean, the Queen's son, Henry of Navarre. I mean, in theory, this could have worked. There was just one problem. Mm. Everyone else involved? Jean, the Queen, refused. Damn it, Jean! In the end, Catherine wrote several letters to Jean, promising the Queen of Navarre safe conduct if she agreed to meet the Queen Mother of France at the French court in the city of Blois. Blois. <laughs> <laughs> that city will never, I know. ever be okay with us. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Stupid Stephen, Stephen of Blois. Stephen of Blois. <laughs> Go listen to the Empress Matilda episodes <laughs> and understand why we hate Stephen of Blois. Also, welcome. By now... Catherine de' Medici had already developed a dark reputation and was reviled by Huguenots all over the country for being duplicitous, untrustworthy, and worse things yet. Mm. 
The fearlessness of Jean was on display in one of her letters to Catherine when she said the following. Madame, you say that you desire to see us and not in order to harm us. Forgive me if I feel like smiling when I read your letters. You allay fears that I have never felt. I do not suppose, as the saying is, that you eat little children. Ah, yes, I remember you saying this before. Yep. <laughs> when Jean... Little children. I'm like, wait, what? She's just like, I'm not afraid of you. I yeah. don't believe the rumors. Like, I know you're not this evil sorceress. Also, I'm Jean the Queen, so back to I'm Jean the fucking Queen. <laughs> guess what? I refuse. <laughs> when Jean first arrived at the French court in Blois, she felt completely and utterly out of her element. The simplicity and modesty employed by her puritanical religion was eclipsed by the grandiosity of Catherine de' Medici's court. Yeah. I don't know why I picked these words. The There's going to be more. Yes. Is that a real word? Yeah. I know ostentatious is, but ostentatiousness. It is that. Yeah, I made it one. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Worse yet, Jean was completely appalled by the immoral decadence she viewed within the court as well. Catherine de Medici's court was the epitome of the opulence and pageantry of the Renaissance court. It attracted poets, musicians, philosophers, and theologians from around the world. Catherine had perfected the art of pageantry in her court, dazzling and distracting visitors with dancing and feasts, and theatrical performances that members of the court often partook in themselves. And they're like, we're not poor. <laughs> right? <laughs> we're not poor. Country isn't in devastation. Here, take these jewels I'm Look, wearing they're beautiful. <laughs> Look at the dancers. They are dancing. <laughs> it was the epitome of everything a puritanical woman such as herself aboard. Everyone drank and danced and cavorted openly with one another. Cavorted. Worst of all, the women were terribly forward and notoriously promiscuous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Jean was especially scandalized by Catherine de' Medici's handmaidens, the notorious flying squadron of the French court, <laughs> who openly flirted with men to obtain their secrets and manipulate their sensibilities. A.K.A. according to Kat, the enchantresses. <laughs> <laughs> the flying enchantresses? Yeah, well, they're not flying! <laughs> The Enchanting Squadron? Is that what you'd rather be called? The Enchantresses. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just that. That's all they did. They used their womenly wiles. They did. They used their womenly wiles, famously. Yes, like it. it's a thing. They're not flying on fucking broomsticks. Jean's outrage was captured in a letter to her son where she tried to dissuade him from the union. I would not have you live here for all the world. I wish you to marry and come out of this corruption with your wife. Great as I believed it to be, it surpasses all my expectations. Here it is, not the men who solicit the women, but the women who solicit the men. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm <No>. so scandalized. <laughs> she scandal. was. The one thing Jean did concede to was the fact that Margot was very beautiful. So at least Henry would have something pretty to look at, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sure. Obnoxiously <laughs> enough... Catherine had done everything she could to limit Jean's interaction with her prospective daughter-in-law. Margot had already gained a reputation for being a flirt herself and had scandalized the royal family on more than one occasion. I was gonna, about to ask pourquoi, but then I was like, oh yeah. Do you remember <laughs> yep. Francois of Guise's son like, tried to seduce her and they may have been caught together? It may or may not have yeah. happened. <laughs> you cannot prove shit. <laughs> Jean wished to assess Margot's character for herself. In addition to being concerned over Margot's religious views, Jean was equally worried that the Valois princess would corrupt her little baby son. Ew. That means your son <laughs> needs to be corrupted. <laughs> I'm sorry. That means he is super sheltered and needs help. 
The negotiations would continue for several weeks, with Jean refusing to relent on any of the terms she put forward for the marriage. She even managed to frustrate her own Protestant allies who believed she was being inflexible. Well, what the fuck are you doing? We have a chance! Jean refused again! Jean, stop refusing! <laughs> In the end, it was King Charles who grew impatient and decided to give in to all of Jean's demands and get the thing over with already. See, that's how you do it. You, you wear them down. <laughs> so according to the terms, Henry of Navarre was allowed to practice his Protestant faith after the marriage. A proxy would also serve as a stand-in for him during the nuptial mass, which was a Catholic rite that Jean forbade him from participating in. Literally all of this is like too good to be true. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> the only thing Henry of Navarre had to do after this point was show up in person for the actual wedding in Paris. Well, shit. That's all he had to do? That's all he had to do. Mm. And then everything would be fine and dandy. No! It would not. And so, the terms were finally agreed upon. Margot of Valois and Henry of Navarre were to be wed, and all would be well within the land of France. Mm -hmm. Now, throughout the whole of the negotiations, Jean suffered from coughing fits. Oh uh, my god, me too, girl! <laughs> she she was, um, like, perpetually sick the entire time. Shit, that sucks. A month after the marriage contract had been signed, she set off for Paris in May of 1572 to make way for the wedding and by the time she landed in paris the coughing fits had gotten worse and she found herself bedridden on more than one occasion but jean was determined to look every bit the part of the queen regnant and was said to ignore her health as she worked to prepare for the wedding but and the arrival of her son regnant not regent oh i was like wait okay. her her whole thing was like even though she hates the french court she doesn't want to look like a country bumpkin next to yeah. them. So she was said to like break out her nicest pearls. Normally she wouldn't wear a lot of jewelry, but she like was yeah. at least trying to fit in. Yeah. Jean appeared to be excited for her son's upcoming wedding and was reported to have gone out on several shopping trips. But in the end, shopping. Jean the Queen would never get to see her son marry Margot oh, of Valois. Yeah, I forgot about that. Well, I mean, that's good for her. <laughs> <laughs> so by June of 1572, Jean's health had gotten so bad that she had to have her will drawn up. That's not great. On June 4th in 1572, Jean returned from one of her many shopping trips with a fever and an ache in the upper right-hand side of her body. Maybe don't go shopping if you're not feeling well. Five days later, she died in her bed. Ooh. Jean was only 43 years old. What? Yep. Damn. Yep. Now, although the manner of her death was never conclusively decided, Jean displayed the symptoms of tuberculosis in the months leading up to her death. An autopsy also revealed a lump in her breast, suggesting she may have had breast cancer. Oh, no. But thanks to the nefarious events that followed the wedding of her son to Margot of Valois, another more sinister story attached itself to Jean's death, claiming she had been the victim of Catherine's perfumier, Natural Renee. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember this? Yeah, I do. According to the tale, Jean had been sold a new pair of gloves that had been doused in poison by Renee on the orders of Catherine de' Medici. You have a picture of this? I do. We have a painting. It's the picture. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was a picture taken Jean in the 16th poison century. Jean in Paris from Catherine de' Medici's perfumer, Pierre-Charles Comte. Comte? Comte. Although most historians believe this story to be false, it's a popular subject of art and fiction of the time. Well, yeah, because it's scandalous. It's so scandalous. We don't like the boring shit where she just died. 
Jean would end up buried beside her husband at the Ducal Church of St. George. Their tombs would remain there until the church was sacked in 1793 during the French Revolution. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A couple of months after her death, Margot and Henry were married, and in the days that followed, a series of targeted assassinations against the Huguenot leadership were ordered by Catherine de' Medici and King Charles IX while they had been in town for the wedding. Violence quickly escalated within the city of Paris, and not long after, one of France's most devastating massacres occurred, known as the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. If you want to know more about that, feel free to listen to episode 3 of Catherine de' Medici. Yes, we go all into it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jean's death spared her witnessing the likely murder of several of her friends and perhaps even that of herself. Yeah, that would have been about that. Yeah, she would have died. <laughs> yeah. 20 years later, the Valois dynasty would die out and Jean's son, Henry of Navarre, would ascend to the throne of France as Henry IV and become the first of the Bourbon kings. Yes. Although, do you really think she would have died because they didn't kill the princes of the blood? I don't... I, we... There's no way of knowing. Yeah. She... Because she was so high up, she might have been protected, but who yeah. knows? Yeah, that's true. She's also incredibly obstinate. Yeah. She might have taken arms up herself. She probably would have, and it would have been so great to see. <laughs> Jean the Queen's grandson, Jean Louis the... Queen. Sorry. Her grandson is Louis the Thirteenth of France, and he'll end up annexing the Kingdom of Navarre into France. Oh. And the other thing, um, I didn't write it down, but... While her son, Henry IV, like when he officially became king of France, mm -hmm. he left his sister, Catherine, as the regent in Navarre. Yes. Yeah, so she, okay. she ruled on her own. Hell yeah. In the end, Jean the Queen proved to be difficult from the moment she had to be dragged kicking and screaming down the wedding aisle right up until her death. Oh, yeah. She was a woman of unyielding conviction, both headstrong and obstinate. During the early years of the Wars of Religion in France, Two women led the charge opposite one another. Jean was a champion of the Protestant cause, one who provided sanctuary to refugees and leadership to the Huguenot army of France. And she was part of a very small and select group of people who could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Catherine de' Medici and hold her own ground. Jean was so relentless in her pursuit of religious freedom that people simply refused to believe something so banal as a natural illness could possibly take her down. Yeah, because clearly none of us, sorry, go ahead. It had to be poison. Yeah, because none <laughs> of us are above death. It doesn't matter how fucking important you are to yourself or others. Not Jane the Queen. Jane the Queen. Clearly she had to be poisoned by some nefarious scheme. She was poisoned by her own potty. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the sad thing. Anyway, there we go. That is the story of Jane the Queen yes. of Navarre. I like both sides. Like I like yeah. hearing about both sides. Isn't it cool? Really cool? That's why I wanted to do this. Yes. Because then you get you get a full, well-rounded. You get to see there are no heroes. There is no good in side. this story, no. and that's why the heroes are the. No, there's no heroes. Others <laughs> um, say it's a common folk, but they weren't exactly not doing anything. There's a there's a book quote I love um, from A Song of Ice and Fire. I actually just read it again recently, and ugh, this this scene never made it to the show, but. It's when the good ones didn't. <laughs> yeah. So it's when Bran um, is on the run. It's after Winterfell burns and mm -hmm. he's with he's with Osha at the time mm -hmm. and his brother um, and Mira and Jojen. So in the story, at one point, like they had separated. So Bran's with Mira and Jojen and he tells Mira like, hey, will you tell me a story? And he's just a child. Mm -hmm. He's like eight. 
she's like, yeah, what kind of story do you want to hear? And he's like, I want to hear one, like a happy one, like one about the good guys, the knights and their armor and their swords. And Mira says, sometimes the knights are the monsters. Oh, yeah. And that's one of my favorite lines from yeah. the series. Yeah. And then she goes on to tell a story about how the knights are the monsters. Yes. It's, it's called the Night of the Laughing Tree. And mm-hmm. in the story, it makes it sound like it's her father who shows up to this big tourney as a mystery knight to get revenge on the squires that had beat him. But it's actually Bran's aunt, Lyanna. Hey! Who people generally believe donned the armor of the mystery knight. It's one of my favorite stories in the, the books. But yeah. I was so bummed they didn't include it. Why would they include it? It sounds great. <laughs> it would have made sense. Much drama. To explain like why Rhaegar and Lyanna supposedly fell in love. I literally, that is my biggest problem with like book to movie or book to show is like you have so much fucking content and all of it is filled with drama. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, no, we're going to do this instead. No! <laughs> if you want to do that instead, find a new series. <laughs> well, anyway. Anyway. Oh, my soapbox. It's all good. You can be on your soapbox. <laughs> Um, my sources for today's episode were Wikipedia, a website called projectcontinua.org. Um, it had an article about Jean de Albret and also Catherine de Medici, the Renaissance Queen of France. It's a book by Leonie Frida. She yes. had quite a bit of information on oh, yeah. as well. so Jane Queen. Cool. <laughs> Jane Queen. So was Jean difficult or a dance? No, oh, what the fuck? Like, that's not even a real question anymore. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> I like 100%. I like that there's nothing martial about her but just her personality was yeah. just so defiant. She was just we'd be friends with her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'd also be like maybe like a little bit of wine from once once in a while is okay. <laughs> maybe you can dance, but yeah. You can dance if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, you have been listening to Difficult Damsels. If you would like to did we introduce ourselves, we did. Did we? Like yeah, ourselves, like you and me. Yeah. I don't think we said in the our beginning names. of the. We did. Did we? Yes. Okay. Do you want to say your name? It was again? so long ago. Do you want to? No, I don't want you to know my name now. <laughs> That's Cat. No, no, it's not. <laughs> and I'm Rachel. Um, but yeah, so um, if you have any suggestions for future episodes, you are more than welcome to reach out to us yeah. at difficult.damsels at gmail.com. You can find us on social oh, media. Oh, yeah, that's my part. Yeah. <laughs> it's been so long. Uh, yeah, we're on social media. Difficult Dances, the podcast. Sometimes. On Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, that's social media. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Gemma's gonna fall. Don't, oh, Gemma. Oh, goodness. Oh, okay, well. Oh, no. <laughs> Gem. Why are my cats so dumb? Okay, well, on that note, you guys, stay difficult and don't fall off. Don't fall off window ledges. <laughs> <laughs>